0: You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. If you haven't heard of Axe Church before, we are a church in Camas, Washington. You can check us out at axcamas.org. You can see what we're about and what we're up to. We're glad you're listening today and hope you enjoy the sermon. What does worship mean to you?
1: It, worship to me is an expression of my feelings for, for, for the Lord. Not only just feel, but what I believe about God. It's an expression of what I believe about God.
2: I think of worship as um, everything that I uh, think, do and say throughout throughout the day that um, gives
3: glory to God.
4: Worship to me is an outward expression of whatever I'm doing in my life to honor God.
3: Worship means to me interacting with the living God. It's a chance for me to set aside my busy week and what's been going on in my life to quiet my soul and to reflect on the nature and the existence of God and his working in my life.
1: My uh, calling out to him, uh, my my pleading with him, uh, my celebration of him.
2: When we were going on our mission trips to Mexico, the Children down there really get into their worship service on Sunday, and they, they use flags and wave their hands, and, and that's, that's a, a
3: really a, a corporate worship that uh, just moves you from the inside. Worshiping with other believers is something very important to me because at one point in my, in my Christian walk, I isolated myself, and that led to some disastrous results in my life. And when I come together and I worship with other believers, I'm reminded I'm not alone. And that I can see that they're going through the same journey of faith that I am. And because of that, that gives me strength and that gives me encouragement. And to know that, that there are others that also worship the living God, that worship
5: Jesus Christ as the Son of God. All right. All right, yeah. You're gonna see more of those throughout the service. so. Um, we're going to talk today, like I said, about what worship is, why we worship, how we worship, okay? Um, this is something that, that is incredibly important because worship is a major part, a major part, a major response in the way that we deal with and and communicate with and commune with the Lord, with God. And so what, what is worship? Okay, a couple, a couple of things here. It's It's a number of there's a number of ways of expressing it and so on, but let's, let's go to, to sort of the Greek and Hebrew for a second because I know everybody loves that. Um, the Hebrew word for worship is shachah, okay? And essentially that word just means to bow down, right? It's, it's the idea of bowing to one who is greater, of, of giving humble service, obedience, that type of thing. The Greek word proskuneo is like kissing the hand, of, of a king, or the king of kings in this case, right? It's, it's the idea of, hey, here I am in humble obedience. I'm at your service. So uh, it really is connected with humility and obedience, okay? Humility and obedience to God. It's, it's recognizing and affirming that God is great, that God is great, right? Greater than us, um, God is greater than us, and, and recognizing that and that we are his, that whole thing, that, that thing that happens in our, in our mind, right, in our mind and our heart, where we are in right relation to God, okay? It's, it's well known, both among Christians and among people in general who are seeking the good, that we ought to know or understand what is good, what is, what is great, what is beautiful, what is true. Okay, worship is a believer's response to understanding what is true. And what is true is that God is great and powerful and holy and all loving and all knowing and all of these types of things. And, and, and us recognizing that and putting ourselves in right relation to that, having an attitude of worship is what worship is about. Okay, so a believer is supposed to always be in an attitude of worship. Um, which is to say this, we need to be submitted to God in our hearts. Following Jesus is not about what, uh, all about what we get or, or uh, you know, how we feel or something like that, but it's actually truly following Jesus, submitting to Christ in our hearts. And so if we're submitted to Christ in our hearts, if we're humbly obedient, we're worshiping. At all moments where you are humbly obedient to Christ, <clears throat> you're worshiping. And so we do it in everything that we do. Everything that we do is worship if we have the right attitude, if our heart is in the right place. This is why sometimes you might come in here on a Sunday morning another worship opportunity that's corporate, and you may just not be feeling it. And you may wonder, what's going on? I would say that there's a number of things that can be going on, Okay, but one of them is that there's sin. Because if you have sin in your life, that's the opposite of humble obedience, right? Sin says me first. Sin says I'm not bowing down. I'm not kissing the hand. I'm not saying God, you're God, and I'm me. You know better. I don't know as well. Sin says I know better. I want, and so we can never be worshiping. You might as well be singing whatever you want when you come in here if if there's sin in your life that's not taken care of because you can't be in the right position. You can't be in the right relation to god and therefore worship will never happen will never happen when you're in that place so um, we have to get our hearts right okay we have to get our hearts into a place of humble obedience our attitude has to be and our thoughts have to be truly humble and obedient and our hearts need to be close to god we need to seek after god um, jesus talked about those who worship with their mouths and not with their hearts. If we, he quotes Isaiah, and this is in Matthew 15, 8 through 9. It says, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. If our hearts are not after God, if our hearts are not in humble obedience to God, you are wasting your time. You're wasting your time. We have to be in the right place to worship God, okay? So, everything that we're saying today, everything that we're teaching about worship, all this stuff, the first thing that you have to understand is that it's a heart attitude that drives it. If that heart attitude isn't right, you have to go back to the beginning and get that right, or nothing else is gonna matter about what we say about worship, okay? The heart attitude has to be right. So, it's a constant attitude. And we're called to worship in a number of ways. The one we're gonna talk about mostly today is worshiping through song, worshiping in music, corporate worship, or even individual worship, which is kind of almost like practice for corporate worship sometimes, but the way that we worship through music. And so what happens is that worship forms a lifestyle. If you have your heart in the right spot, then worship becomes a lifestyle. And one of the ways that that lifestyle works itself out is when we come together as a corporate body to worship together, okay? When we come together and we're engaged in active, expressive worship together, that is the outflowing of the fact that you're carrying an attitude of worship all the time. All the time, okay? So this is beautifully expressed in the Psalms, and I'm going to read one this morning. This is Psalm 95. I'm going to read one through seven, through the first part of seven. It says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods, and his ha- in his hand, are the deep places of the earth the heights of the hills are his also the sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land oh come let us worship and bow down let us kneel before the lord our maker for he is our god and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand if you see if you if you just say what's the attitude here you can see what the attitude is god is great we are his He is above us, and he is awesome, and he is great. And therefore, we do what? We shout, we bow, we kneel, we express ourselves in worship in response to understanding who God is and who we are. And so that's what worship is about. And as we come into this place, we need to be thinking about that. So I'm going to ask a question. It's rhetorical. You don't need to answer. But do we come in here and worship to give or to receive? And the answer, I'll give you my lawyer answer okay? Yes, we do. We come in here to give and to receive, okay? So primarily though, worship is an act of giving. It's an act of giving. Some of us might look around and, and you know, we're, we're singing, we're standing there, we're kind of singing the song, maybe we know, maybe we don't. We look over here and somebody is being very expressive, right? Their eyes are closed, their hands are up, they're, they're very expressive, and you're just like, I'm not getting that, I'm not getting it. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Um, it doesn't strike me that way. And well, the problem with that mindset or that thought is, it's not about how it strikes you. What that person is doing in expressing themselves, in singing loudly, whether it sounds good or not, okay? And we got all kinds, all right? But that's okay. When you're doing that, what you're doing is you're giving something. Worship is an act of giving. It's not an act of receiving. Now, is there something that we receive in worship? There can be. Oftentimes there is. Feeling the, that we're in the presence of God, feeling his, his presence in our lives, but that won't always happen, and that's not why we do it. We're not doing it. It's not a quid pro quo. God, I'll come in, and I'll do this. I'll sing this song. I'll sing it at this level, and I'll give you one hand or, or whatever, right? It's not, it's not that, and then, God, you give me these incredible feelings of happiness, That's not what worship is, okay? So that's not when you're looking at people and you see them in that state, don't assume that what's going on is this incredible euphoria that they're feeling. Maybe it is and maybe it isn't, but what they're doing is they're expressing from the attitude of worship that they have in their heart all the time, that's being expressed out in corporate worship as an act of service and sacrifice to God. That's what's happening in that moment. Worship is something we give. It's something that we give, okay? Um, It's an action on our part, And it's an act of gratitude. It's an act of giving honor and joy and glory and blessing to the Lord because he's blessed us so richly. That's what it is. Um, What I find interesting is the people in the Old Testament, remember, they were there before the Messiah, before Jesus Christ had come. They were looking forward to the Messiah, and they didn't even completely understand it. And yet, what do you read? Lift up your hands, shout to the Lord, kneel before him, make a joyful noise. David's dancing around in his underwear. If you remember that one, I'm not recommending this, okay? This is not... Uh, this, this is descriptive, okay? Not prescriptive for you, okay? But you see these, these incredible um, actions of joy and of, and of blessing and of giving and physical reactions to the Lord, and they didn't even understand fully Jesus. We've come, we're here after Christ has come. Jesus Christ has already come, died, rose from the dead, forgave our sins. We're saved and free, and we have the Holy Spirit. And I would just ask whether or not we come in with an attitude anything like these who didn't even have all that. We got the New Testament. We got the New Covenant. We got all these things. We're so much more free. We've been given so much more. They would have loved to be in this time when we have the Holy Spirit present with us like we do in the church today. And yet, I'm not sure that we're reacting in the right way that we need to, and so that's something that we need to question ourselves about, okay? Okay? Because worship, in corporate worship, when we're singing songs together and doing this, this is an expressive, an expressive action from the heart, okay? We're worshiping in spirit and in truth. And we're going to talk about both expressiveness and worshiping in spirit and truth later this morning, Lord willing. Um, but there is, there is a way that as we do that and God receives our praises, there's something very powerful that's happening in that moment, something eternal, something amazing Now, I have a, well, not just me, we as believers should have a vision for Acts Church, for this church, because we're not responsible for any other local expression of the body of Christ, but we are responsible for us, and we are responsible for this one. And the question is this, if someone walks through the door and comes in and sits amongst Acts Church, which is all of us, what should they see? What should they see? Should they see worship being sacrificially given as an action, as an expression of the worship that we carry throughout our entire week, that we carry with us all the time, so that they can say, okay, that may look a little awkward, which is why we're sometimes embarrassed to be expressive, but it's real. They obviously truly believe what they say they believe. These people believe they're singing to the most high God, the creator of heaven and earth. Okay? I see nowhere in the Psalms, nowhere, where it says, stand awkwardly and sing. If you can find it, you know, maybe it's in like the message translation or something. I've never seen it. That's not our call, right? And so if someone's coming in and they want to see something real and they want to know what you really think, do you really believe in God? Is he active and powerful in your life? What should they see? What should they see? It's something for us to all ask ourselves. It's something for me to ask myself, okay? And, 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 the, and the second thing is to ask yourself if they don't see it, what message does that send? If there's a bunch of people standing awkwardly mumbling a song, what message does that send? Okay, there's a lot of teaching here. These people say they believe something, and maybe they do, but I can tell you this, I would not find the evidence of it in the way that they worship if they truly believe they're before the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who rose from the dead who's forgiven their sins. And so I just ask us to have the right vision for this church that when someone walks in, now we're going to go over, like I said, to a place where people can actually find us. And they're going to find us. The Lord is going to bring them in. And when they walk in the doors, it is my desire of my heart that they would see a people truly sold out in humble obedience to the king. And that it would be visibly obvious from the way in which we worship as an action. And so I'm asking that as we go through this morning, you're going to hear some more teaching, and and you're going to to see a couple more of these videos and other people talking about worship in their lives. I'm just asking you, start to prepare your heart. Ask the Lord. Listen, don't listen to me. It's all here in the Scripture. Your call to worship. Everything about it is here in the Scripture. Check it. But I'm asking you to prepare your hearts. And as we go through, we're gonna sing a couple of songs here in a second so the band can come on up and get back ready. But we're gonna sing a couple songs here in a second and, and we're gonna do this a few times, okay? We got some time. We're gonna do this a few times. And each time, I want us to draw further into worship. Take what you're thinking about. Think about the fact that God is great and that he loves you. Think about how you would express that I mean, I've seen people get an iPhone for Christmas or whatever. I don't know if I've ever actually seen somebody get an iPhone, but you know what I'm saying. They get something they like, and, and they're, ooh, over that. You are worshiping the God of creation. I'd ask you to ask the Lord to speak to your heart about what that should look like.
0: Why do you engage in worship?
3: I engage in worship because I know that I am a creature made in the image and likeness of God.
4: I engage
1: in worship because my father loves me and he deserves it. Because I have to, because that worship is, is for me a natural outpouring um, to, to something that to someone that I love.
2: I engage in worship to honor God.
1: It's like breathing.
3: And I engage in worship because nothing in this world deserves my praise other than the living God.
1: Um, if someone uh, spent $12,000 and bought me a ticket to the Super Bowl to watch my favorite team who just got there, first of all, I'd be very excited about the ability to be able to go because I can't pay for $12,000. And in respect to them, I would, I would make sure that I was there. I wouldn't be on my cell phone, you know, checking my Facebook or checking other scores for basketball. I'd be there. I'd be engaged. And, and so much like that, you know, Jesus, um, through his blood, has made a way for us to come before the throne of glory, but to come before God. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited about that opportunity. I'm grateful to Jesus. And so I'm going to be like those sports fans. I'm going to be hooping and hollering. and I'm going to be, yay! They made the touchdown. And I'm excited to be there in the presence of the Lord. He is the creator of everything. And I know this, that in
3: worship, some of my most powerful experiences with God has come through worship. I've had God meet me. I've had God heal me of things going on inside of my life. I've had God whisper words of encouragement to me during worship. And it is during those times and I remember those and I write those down, that worship becomes a very intimate experience between me and my Lord.
4: I feel the Holy Spirit in my family and I want to celebrate that with my brothers and sisters and I feel moved by the Holy Spirit every week when I'm there and I sometimes dance. A lot of times I close my eyes and I just soak in the word of what the song is or what the prayer is.
3: I get excited about a lot of things in life and and those who know me know I get excited about a cup of Starbucks and I get excited about the latest and greatest Apple product. But I want to be more expressive and interactive with the Lord during worship.
0: So we talked about what worship is. David talked about what worship is, and um, it's it's us just being humble before God and and praising Him. And so now I want to talk about why do we worship? What is the reason uh, for what we for why we worship God? And so I want to go through a couple of questions, um, kind of kind of like, um, like a, a, an argument. Let's make an argument through a couple of questions that I want to ask. The first question being, where did worship come from and when did it begin? Like, what is the first instance that we can see worship happening? And you have to go pretty far back in your Bible to see that. In fact, um, if you go back to Genesis 2, I'm going to start reading in verses 21. We see the first act of worship. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man And while he slept, took one of of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And I didn't do justice to those lines that I have centered to show that it's a song. I'm sure it sounded a little more enthusiastic, and it probably had a nice tune to it. But I, I don't know what he—I don't know what it sounded like, so I'm not going to do that for you. Um, so Adam is—it it sounds like he doesn't reference God at all, but that's because God's in front of him, and so Adam is worshiping God for the goodness that He has provided for him in, in a wife. And I think us men can attest to that. Um, and my wife's not even here to hear that line; she's teaching kids. And so Adam responds to God's goodness in worship. And we learn two things from the way that Adam worships God in this instance. First, we see that Adam's outpouring is, is something that is within him. It's something natural that is within him, and he just has to, it's, it's his natural response to God. And secondly, that is a, an authentic outpouring of his heart. It's from the joy that he has inside of him. And so I'd like to ask a second question now. Why do we not always feel that same urge that Adam has? Why does this world that we're in clearly not feel that urge? And why do we, even as Christians, sometimes struggle with that? Why do we not always respond to everything he does and sing a song to God? When we turn the page, we have our unfortunate answer. If you just go to the next chapter, um, we see the fall of man. We see man sin for the first time. God had pretty much said, this whole garden, all this food is yours. Just don't eat from this tree. And of course, we went and we ate from the tree. Adam and Eve ate from the tree, and so they, they, they had some repercussions as a result of this. And so if we read in Genesis 3 starting verse 17, this is God talking to Adam. It says because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. And if we continue on a little later in the chapter, it says, Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And so, from this passage, we see two consequences that you could probably sum it up by. First was that the work that was once worshiped to God and came easy and naturally is now difficult and laborious. And that manifests itself in the way that we worship. And it manifests itself in the way that we have to work, and we have to work hard just to get a living. Um, I think most of us have experienced that, and we experience it. I mean, we especially experience it here in this school, having to bring in everything. Worship is hard in this world that is fallen. It is hard to to get together and worship in a way that glorifies God um, because of our sin. And so because of the sin, God had to set up a system in order for us to worship Him adequately. And I mean, we were also cut off from God. Um, that's the second problem of sin, is that we are now cut off from God, and we can't even be in His presence. And you can't worship God without being in His presence. And so God sets up a system for um, those who want to worship Him to worship Him. And it has to happen in a special tabernacle or temple that you have to worship Him. You have to go there because that's a safe place where He can go where He won't harm us by being in, our, in His presence. And not only that, you have to now go to a priest who will then kind of like pass the notes of your worship on to God. You can't directly worship God anymore. You have to go to a priest who will then do it for you. And third, you have to follow all these specific rules that will honor God. And so all of a sudden, from going from, going from being in the garden with God, all of a sudden, now you have to pass notes to God, basically, to try and tell him that you love him at a special place, at a special time, um, following special rules. And all of a sudden, because of our sin, we have so much difficulty worshiping. And not only that, but now God has to tell us to worship. It's not something that comes naturally to us. The Psalms are full of, of verses telling us to worship God. I have a few that I just quickly was able to find Psalm 33 verses 1 through 3, Psalm 511, Psalm 81, 1 through 3. All of these psalms are God telling his people to worship because it doesn't come naturally anymore. People have to be told to worship him. But this wasn't God's final plan, obviously. Obviously, God had something more for us for worship. He wasn't done with these rules. These rules were just something as a placeholder until his plan was complete. And so I want to ask another question, and that is, how can we worship today? How is it that you and I are able to worship today? Because this is not that special temple that God called us to. Um, this is an elementary school building, if you didn't notice, um, and we have teachers' names along the back, and it's, it's clearly not the design God was talking about if you read through Leviticus and Deuteronomy, books that you probably don't read because there's so many rules of how you have to follow um, the rules to worship God. And you haven't been going to priests um, to, to worship God. You haven't been trying to find um, a Levite in order to bring worship to God. And you certainly, I don't think, did anybody have bacon in the last week? Yeah, sorry. That means um, you're not following the rules. Um, and so how can we worship today if we're not following these rules? How is our worship worthy? So let's look at the two problems, the two problems that we had for worshiping. Problem one is because of sin, we are driven away from God's presence, and we have to be in his presence to worship him. And so we would have to go to a temple um, to be with God and worship him. Let's read Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 50. Um, This is Jesus on the cross, and it's his final moments of of anguish as he's dying on the cross. And it says And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. This temple veil was stopping people from being in God's presence. It was, it was really a safety mechanism for us because if you were in God's presence with sin in your life, you had no chance. God would simply, just by being in his presence, you would be eviscerated. And so God has set up this veil to, to stop you from, from being in his presence. But when Jesus died on the cross, that, ta- that veil tore as a symbol of showing that we now, by Jesus' blood, have access to God. This is something that the Israelites did not have. This is something that King David himself did not have. He did not have access to go to God and worship him like we have today. And so today, if you're a Christian, you have access like no one before Jesus ever had. The problem number two is we no longer feel an internal call to worship God. This world clearly does not have an internal call to worship God. You don't um, see that all over the news channel is— oh, this worship service popped up out of nowhere because people just felt like they wanted to worship God. You don't see that in the world. So if we turn to Ephesians 4, we will see our answer. Something that God has done for us. Ephesians verse 4, starting in verse 20, or chapter 4, starting in verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to be put on the new self created after the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness. We now are being renewed in our spirits. If we read 1 Corinthians in chapter 6, I probably had the wrong verse up there. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We, our bodies are now the temple. We don't have to go to a temple because God made his home in us. If you're a Christian, he has made his home in you. He has sent his Holy Spirit to indwell within you. And so you get to worship in your spirit. And so if you don't have that internal calling you're not letting the Holy Spirit change that part of your spirit. He wants to renew your spirit, and he wants to call you to worship God. And so we have that ability through God's presence in our lives. We get to worship God in a way that only Adam and Eve ever had a chance to now because of Jesus' blood. Jesus has renewed both the way that we worship, the way that we are able to worship him, as well as the reason that we are able to come to God in worship. How has worship impacted your relationship with God?
1: Being able to worship, being called to worship, um, uh, takes me out of whatever current context, whatever situation that I'm on, and gives me an opportunity to put all of my focus uh, and all of my uh, attention on God and who He is and to celebrate Him.
2: As I grow, closer to God, he grows closer to me. He comes into me more.
4: I I can sing and shout his praise and he's right there. It's not it's not like sending a letter in the mail. It's like having FaceTime with God.
3: Worship has impacted my relationship with God because like I said before, there were special times in which God has spoken to me through worship.
2: The more I worship God, the closer I get to him.
4: I wouldn't be in my wedding with my husband standing there sulking. So why would I, as the bride of Christ, just be sitting there sulking? And waiting for God to for me to walk up to God, um, God's waiting to receive me at the altar. So I'm excited about that. I'm tearful. I'm showing emotion through worship.
3: I can go back to 20, 25 years ago where the Lord did something amazing. It was almost, and, and I don't, I don't mean to sound cliche or anything like that, but it was almost like I was lifted up into a different place interacting with the creator of the universe. Worship is something that is very, very, very dear to me and something that I honestly would like to see more in my life and something that I cannot live without because I cannot live without God.
2: Worshiping is um, renewing of my relationship with God.
5: When I was talking earlier about how the people who had been there before Christ were able to worship so expressively, I hadn't even thought about the fact that we can eat bacon, and they couldn't. Um, I mean, that alone should get you guys up in the morning on a Sunday, that that's no longer a rule. So, um, but really, honestly, the idea that Hunter brought up, uh, the, the fact that the veil has been torn, the fact that we can come into the presence of God fully, and our holiness is not our own holiness but the holiness that we have through the blood of Jesus Christ is an amazing thing. The scripture was read on the screen where Jesus is talking to this woman and telling her, listen, it's not about here or there. It's about worshiping God in spirit and in truth, and that God is seeking those who will worship him in that way. You know that God is not into worship because he's greedy for worship or praise. He's He's not posting and looking at how many Facebook likes he gets that's not God's thing. God wants our worship because it is the reasonable thing that we ought to do in response to him because it's good for us. It's good for us. If you see a beautiful work of art and walk away and go, eh, there's something wrong there. You've missed that, which you ought to have apprehended. God wants us to be correct He wants us to be whole. He wants us to be right so that we would understand our relation to him. And worship is a natural expression of that. And so when we talk about worshiping in spirit and truth, we come back to these concepts of body, soul, spirit that we consistently go to, that we consistently go to to understand who we are, the anthropology of the human being. Who are we? We're body, soul, and spirit, okay? And our spirits have been reborn and made new in Christ. Reborn and made new. And so our spirit knows how to worship. It is the most normal thing, normative thing in the world that your spirit worships. Your spirit is in a constant state of worship because, of course, our spirit understands as it communicates with the Holy Spirit who God is and who we are and how all of that works. And in all things, we're to live in the spirit through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so um, when our soul wills to the spirit... We're going to worship. We will to the spirit. We control the body. We put the body, we beat the body into submission so that as a whole, as a whole self, we can worship God. If you'll turn, if you have your Bible with you to Romans 12, 1, this is out of the ESV translation. It says this, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship that we present ourselves. When we come in here on a Sunday morning, we are presenting ourselves. And sometimes maybe it feels a little sacrificial. Sometimes you don't wanna do it, sometimes you don't wanna get out of bed, sometimes whatever, but your soul wills the body in the power of the Holy Spirit because you're so into your spirit to be here to worship. And, And the word here, this is your spiritual worship, that also can be translated as your rational service or reasonable service. So, this whole word spiritual worship and rational or reasonable service, they have the same, they mean the same thing in this context. Now, I know that for some of us, you know, we're, we're, we like the intellectual side. We like to think about it. We like to go through it. We love discovering new truths in the scripture and knowing the law of God, understanding things. We like to, around here we talk about science and, and, and the intersection between faith and reason and all these things. And I love that stuff, okay? But do you know that your spiritual worship, which sounds very sort of on that emotional side to a lot of people, and your rational or reasonable service are the same? They're the same thing. Did you know that when you're standing there and and, and awkwardly, you know, kind of standing there, not knowing what to do, and someone else is over here pouring their heart out to God, that the person who's actually more rational and reasonable in that moment is the person who's pouring their heart out to God. Because that's the reasonable, rational, rational way to approach the King of Kings. It's unreasonable to come and stand there and not and not really engage and not really want to engage. It's actually reasonable that you would engage expressively in worship. That's the most reasonable person in the world. The one, if God was to appear right here before you, you would fall on your face in worship. No question. No question. Trust me. Trust and believe. You would fall on your face in worship. Guess what? He is here. He's here with us. We're here coming into his presence. Our reasonable, rational service would be that we would in our spirit, in our heart, that we would, we would cause our body, soul, and spirit as a whole to worship God. That is the most reasonable thing in the world. The most reasonable thing in the world. We're presenting ourselves to God, our bodies, soul, spirit, living sacrifice. That's what worship is, okay? It's not just an emotional response as if worship is coming and hitting you and you're responding to it. You're coming in here responding to who God is, And it's the most reasonable thing in the world. It's exactly how you should act. It would be odd to act a different way. It would be odd to act a different way. And so, there should be no question in our minds about what is owed to God if we are thinking in truth, in spirit and in truth, if we have the truth in us and we're thinking truthfully and correctly about who God is there should be no question about what our response should be. It should be the response that you would have if God visibly presented himself to you. It should be the same response that you should have as we worship God as spirit, who is not visibly present to you, but is present here. When we're together, Jesus is in our midst. Now, why do we engage in worship in these ways that you see? Why do we raise our hands? Why do we clap our hands? Why some people might kneel down, close their eyes, even cry? Why do we do that? Because we're actually doing these things. First of all, real easy. We're called to do those things. Read the Psalms. They don't say, if you feel like it, shout for joy. If you feel like it, raise your hands. Nope, it's always in the command, in the call. Raise your hands, clap your hands, bow down before him. These are the normal things that you would do. And they're a call, they're a scriptural call for you. So that's the first reason why we do them. But the second reason why we do them is that there is something, real, when we will our bodies into a submissive posture before the Lord, or into a thanksgiving posture before the Lord, there's something real that's going on in that moment. We're as a whole, we're becoming a whole self in worship in that. And so again, I'm going to encourage you, and I'm going to continue to encourage you, and I'm never going to stop encouraging you, that when we come together, that there's no question what we're doing as a body, as a whole, that we are worshiping God with our hearts, right? With our soul, with our spirit, with our body, that that's what we ought to do. We're coming together into the holy presence of the Lord. It's an amazing thing, and we cannot forget it. I know that we just came from yelling at the kids and getting them in the car and, you know, wearing your underwear outside your pants and get that done and brush your teeth and let's get, and, you just, and by the time you get here, and it's wah, wah, wah the whole way, I understand you coming, oh, hey, like everything just changed. I get that, okay? I get it. So come earlier. Come earlier, okay? Um, We cannot say that God is good and powerful and loving and holy and awesome and then not worship like we believe it's true, which means that we have to make some choices about what we're going to be and what we're going to do as a church, okay? Because it affects other people, too. You're called to make disciples, and when people walk in this door, those are potential disciples for Jesus Christ. And how does it affect them? How does it affect them? It makes people confront the reality that at least you and the other people around you believe that God is who he says he is when they see you actively worshiping. At least they have to confront the fact that you believe it. And that's something real to confront. That's something real. So, I understand that it's hard to know kind of how to do this if if you haven't done this before, but it's less, don't make it too hard for yourself. Ask the Lord what he wants you to do. Read the Psalms. Ask God what it looks like. Practice at home. Listen listen to some worship music and and worship God and try to be more expressive. Try to think about the fact that you're willing your body into submission in the act of worship and start to be more expressive. Sing louder. No one cares if you sing poorly, okay? Me of all people, I have such a loud voice, right? And I don't care that you guys don't like it sometimes because I'm worshiping God. It's not for you. And you get to sing, and it's not for me, it's for God. So if somebody's annoyed by it, they can move over there, right? We're even moving into a bigger place. They can even get further away from you, all right? So if you end up sitting by yourself over here and there's nobody around you, there's probably some, some reason there. But you know what? Go for it. Go for it, okay? We need, to, we need to be here as worshipers when we come on a Sunday morning to worship, and we're worshiping in everything we do, remember, our whole lives. There's worship going on right now as you listen to the Word of God, And let it affect your heart. There's worship in that. But as for what we do in in musical worship together as a congregation, congregational, corporate, together worship, one accord type stuff, think about, prepare yourself before you get here. Look forward to it. Get here early. Be ready that when that first song, you don't want to miss a note. You don't want to miss a note. You want to be there for every. This is an opportunity that you have to be together with other believers and worship the King of Kings. You should be looking forward to that. Like Sherry was saying on the video with her sports thing that she did okay. I think she said that basketball and the Super Bowl. I don't know. But she tried, okay? And it was great. Uh, Listen, be excited. No one comes to the Super Bowl at halftime. They come early, Okay? They come early. They come ready because they know something exciting is going to happen. You need to come early and come ready. Not because necessarily you know something exciting is going to happen, but because you've got all this built up that's ready to give. All week I'm building up, Lord. Oh, man, I'm worshiping you. My my attitude, my heart is towards I can't wait till I can get together with the other believers and just let it all go. That's where we need to be as a church. So I'm asking you to ask the Lord to speak to your heart about that. Let's, let's have that opportunity to show our humble obedience to God, and let's set a culture of worship that's real, that says something, that testifies and witnesses to the community about what you believe about who God is. That's who we need to be, okay? So let's be here with our hearts and our hands clean from sin, okay? Let's, let's, let's take care of the business we need to take care of with the Lord so we're not coming in here with a bunch of sin in our lives, Let's, let's actively, we've talked about confession and repentance and that lifestyle, let's be in that place so that we come in here ready with our hearts and our hands clean before lo- the Lord. Jesus Christ having cleansed us from all unrighteousness as he promises to do if we will ask for forgiveness. Let's do that, let's be ready. Let's get here early and be focused on God. Let's be in one accord as we worship God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And remember that if you engage, it makes it that much easier for the person next to you to engage. And when both of you engage, it makes it that much easier for the next person. It's a lot harder for, a, for most people to come in and be an expressive, powerful worshiper if that's not the culture that they're sitting in. So do we want a culture that's conducive, that if somebody comes from out of town, they move into town, and they want to worship God, and they come in here and, and we're pouring cold water on their worship because they're looking around and nobody's doing it? No. Let's, let's set a culture of worship. Let's be real about it. Take, it. take it yourself. Take it personally. Take it inside and worship the way that God's called you to worship. And that's what we have for this morning. So let's, let's put ourselves aside when it comes to worship, as would be your rational, reasonable thing to do in the presence of the King of Kings. And let's think about him and what he's called us to do. And be his together, one accord, his church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth. I thank you for the opportunity to express ourselves in worship, to shout for joy, to raise our hands, to kneel, to bow before you, to dance in your presence, to do whatever we need to do, Lord. All in good order, but all for you. God, we love you because you loved us first. And you love us most. And there's not one person in this room that you do not adore that you don't know every hair on their head, that you don't know every step that they'll take, that you haven't said, this is my child who I want to be with me. And Lord, for those who know you, I pray that they would feel the power of your Holy Spirit in their life and that that would flow out into worship when we're together, that they would recognize that it's not just an emotional thing, that it's not just a thing about us, but it's a thing about you. And it's actually the most rational, reasonable thing we could do when we come into your presence and sing these words of praise and honor and glory and blessing to you. Thank you for the Psalms and what they teach us. Thank you for your whole scripture that teaches us everything that we need to know about what it means to be a worshiper. And you're seeking worshipers, Lord. Let us be those who you're seeking. We want to be, we, we raise our hands to, to be picked, to be those who are there, who you've chosen to come and worship you because you're looking for us to worship you. And I pray that we would do that. God, I pray you be with our church this week. I pray you be with each one of us as we're going through different things. Some need to see doctors because they're sick. Some are looking at surgeries coming up. Some are looking at uh, d- difficult things or family members who are going through stuff. There's financial troubles. There's all kinds of stuff. Lord, I would I pray you take the fear away. Destroy it, Lord. Let us trust in you and let that foundation be so strong it could never be rocked because you've cast out fear, Lord. You haven't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I pray that that would be the marker of this expression of your body, that we walk, we march forth, that we walk, and we break down the gates of hell, Lord. We want the captive set free. We want people to come to know you and grow in you. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen.
0: Well, thanks for listening to our sermon. Again, this has been a sermon from Axe Church in Camas, Washington. We hope you enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. If you did, you can subscribe to our channel as well as liking and commenting. We love to hear how these sermons are impacting you. You can also take a look at our podcast series that we have out. And we'll catch you again next week.